Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone. I'm Sierra. And I'm Ashley. And this is your Weekly Weekly Dose of Wicked. episode is going to focus infamous Willie Picton. For the last two weeks, Sierra told you about the case that first got her into true crime, and this week I'm going to do the same. Willie Picton is my favorite serial killer. Actually, let me rephrase that. The serial killer that fascinates me the most, Sierra says I'm not allowed to have a favorite. No, you're not allowed to have a favorite because it's disgusting. Like, you can't have a favorite serial killer. Okay, well, he's not my favorite as I like him. He's my favorite as he's the most interesting, so. Okay, whatever. Favorite is inappropriate, but you can say he's the most interesting. The most interesting serial killer. Um, I could talk about Willie Picton for hours, but I've tried to keep it brief. This case is crazy, so let's get into it. Robert William Picton, also known as Willie, was born on October 24th, 1949 to Leonard and Louise Picton. Willie has two siblings, an older sister, Linda, and a younger brother, David. Um, These children didn't live a normal childhood. The boys grew up on a pig farm in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. I probably said that wrong. Um, Linda was sent to live with relatives in Vancouver because they believed the farm was an inappropriate setting to raise a lady. However, it was actually an inappropriate setting to raise any child at all. The Pictons were known in their community for how gross they were, and it seems as though they took pleasure in that title. They lived in complete squalor. It doesn't appear they ever cleaned their house before there was feces dirt and mud covering the walls like absolute filth do you have pictures of this i mean i'm sure you could google stuff no i don't have any saved yeah it was absolutely disgusting sometimes when i think my house is dirty i'm like well at least i'm not the pictons yeah that's pretty gross they actually just let their farm animals like come throughout their house just peeing and pooping everywhere oh and no one cleaned it Okay, then. I don't think any of them actually knew how to clean it all. Ooh, I found pictures. Of course you did. Ooh. (laughs) Okay. Disgusting. Yeah. Okay, please continue. So, garbage piled everywhere, feces everywhere, just disgusting. And the farm was the same way. And this is when they they were children, correct? So, like, how old are we talking? When they were children. Small children. Their whole lives. The whole town knew them as, like, the disgusting victims. Okay. Like, the other farmers actually called Leonard Piggy because he was gross and he raised pigs. Okay, makes sense. So that's how he was known. So on the farm, it was the same way. They had animal feces piled up in mounds. There was trash piles everywhere, scrap metal, old cars, equipment just rotting on their property. Along with their house and their farm being gross, they were also gross. They had terrible personal hygiene and they didn't bathe and were known around town for their awful smell. Louise really let nature take over her body. She just let her teeth rot out of her mouth. She didn't shave her legs or her arms. Pits, and she even had a beard. Oh, my kind of lady. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, she really just like loved that people knew that she was gross. Like she took pleasure in it. But despite her horrible hygiene, she was a really hard worker and basically ran the farm herself. Um, all the financial and business aspects were all on her. But because she was so busy with the farm, she was really neglectful to her kids. Um, she forced them to be their main workers on the farm, cleaning all the pig pens before school. And at, their farm's really big. At one point, they had 700 pigs. And she made them do all of the pens before school. Okay. Leonard, on the other hand, was very lazy and and physically abusive to his children. So while the mom was neglectful and didn't care about them, the dad was physically abusive. Um, The brothers were sent to school in dirty work clothes and reeked of manure because they had to clean 700 pig pens (laughs) before school. Right. Um, So they were bullied and called stinky piggies by all of their classmates. Oh, that's actually kind of sad, though. You feel really bad for them, but I mean, I know pieces of trash are not really right. Like, I know that like, he's an awful, horrible serial killer, and like, I know enough about him to know that. But that's actually really sad that, like, as a child, he reeked of manure and was called little piggy. Yeah, they had horrible childhoods, absolutely horrible. Yeah, it always makes me feel bad when you like deep dive into. I mean, I don't feel like I should feel bad because like he's a horrible monster, but right, but it kind of gives you a little bit of sympathy for him, even though he's a horrible. And most serial killers, I feel like, are the same way. Yeah, I mean, most of them have horrible childhoods. I mean, I feel bad for the child 
of little Willie Picton, not the not the grown adult who did horrible things. But anyway, not the grown piece of trash. Right. I'm I'm just really infatuated <laughs> with these pictures. <laughs> Like, there's a lot of pictures of disgustingness. Yeah, absolutely disgusting. Yeah, I was looking through pictures. I didn't save any of them, but, like, I knew their house was gross. Yeah, there's a lot. But I was like, how gross was it? Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And that's, the pictures are from, like, when Willie lived there as an adult. Right. Not from when they were children. So it just got progressively worse. But, I mean, still disgusting, I'm sure, the whole time. Right. Okay, I'll stop looking at pictures so I can pay attention to you. Um, Willie really struggled in school. He was labeled slow by his teachers. And when he was a teenager, Willie saved up money and bought himself a calf that he would raise by himself as a pet and grew to love very much. Um, One day he came home from school and this calf was missing. He searched everywhere for it. And when he asked his parents, one of them told him that he should go check the barn. So he did. And there he found his pet slaughtered and hanging to drain out the blood. So his parents were really shitbags. I mean, that's really awful. Like they knew the calf was in there and they told him to go look there. And they killed it. And it was his. That's why you don't name farm animals, right. though. That's why you don't. So, off topic. Well, he bought it with his own money. Right. As a pet. It wasn't a farm animal. It was a pet. I mean, obviously, neither one of us grew up on a farm. So, you know, but they always say don't don't name farm animals. So, you know, my neighbor has chickens. Mm-hmm. So, I named the babies and two of them got eaten by a fox. And I'm really upset about it. Oh, which ones? Franny and Mac. Oh. So, Franny and Mac are gone. Well, Only Pearl survived, but he told me not to name them. I thought there were four. No, there's five new babies. These were the, the other babies oh. that were like, you know, he had like the three babies that were like three or four months old. And then he has like the new babies. There's five of the new babies. Two of those are missing too. But I learned my lesson. I didn't name the little tiny ones. Because as soon as I named those other three, two of them got eaten by a fox. Yeah, that's really sad. So, don't name your farm animals. Your parents Wait, will your parents will slaughter them and hang them in the barn <laughs> or a fox will eat them or a fox will eat them for sure <laughs> um willie ended up dropping out of school when he was 14 and took an apprenticeship as a butcher learning to slaughter all kinds of animals and he developed really good skills and actually became quite a master um in 1967 david was a new driver so he took a joy ride on a country road where he accidentally hit a young boy wait he immediately went home to his mother. David is Willie's brother, right? His brother, yes. Okay. So David, Willie's brother, was a new driver, so he went took a joyride um, and accidentally hit a little boy. I'm not sure exactly the boy's age because it kind of varies, but I think he was like 8 to 10, which don't know why he was by himself on a country road, but it is the 60s so so he went home and he told his mom and she told him to take the truck to the body shop that they got their vehicles worked on to get it fixed and that she would take care of the boy so the man working at the body shop was really confused because the pictons were gross they didn't take care of themselves so they didn't take care of their stuff either so he was like well they normally don't fix their vehicles or their equipment unless they're like really broken so this dent like shouldn't it be something that they fixed but he's like whatever i don't want to deal with the picton so i'm just gonna fix it so while he was doing that the mom went to take care of the boy where her taking care of him was pushing him into a ditch filled with water where he drowned to death. The police were called. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh that's how she took care of the boy. Oh my god. I did not know that. Yeah. Horrible lady. That is awful. So there was lots of like injuries to the boy anyways that were very horrible. Like he had um, like a crushed pelvis. I mean I'm sure sure he was hit by a car yeah and he was small so that lots of injuries but his like cause of death was drowning in the ditch so louise killed him oh my god yeah wonderful lady what the fuck that is awful ashley yeah well i didn't do it i know but like oh my god like that's awful yeah. Yeah. So even though um, he drowned in the ditch and he clearly got hit by a car and there were unusual circumstances, the police ruled it as an accident and none of the victims were charged. What? Yeah. How was that an accident? She intentionally rolled him into the ditch. I don't know, but they ruled it an accident. They said that he, I don't know, fell into the ditch, maybe drowned, but he had broken bones and cuts and blood all over, I'm sure. Right. Like he'd been hit by a car. Okay, but I think hitting with the car was an accident, 100%. So I could see if that was his cause of death. Like, if that was his cause of death, okay, but... Oh, definitely. She rolled him into a ditch and let him drown. Oh, my God. Yeah. So not an accident. So really, the whole family just sucks. (laughs) Yeah. So in 1970, Willie left his apprenticeship after seven years and went working full-time on his family farm. So he didn't finish his apprenticeship. I don't know how long apprenticeships last for, but he did it for seven years, and then he just up and quit and went to work on the farm. So I found that really strange. I can't find why he did this, but he did, which I just think is super weird. Not really important, but super weird. Yeah, that's a long time to do an apprenticeship and then just quit it and not finish it. Yeah, yeah. 
That's what I thought. Uh, While he was back on the farm, he spent the time taking care of livestock and he started some new odd jobs. He enjoyed slaughtering animals, so he would go to the auction to buy full-size pigs and slaughter them for fun. That's not weird at all. No, not at all. I think that's a pretty normal activity. Yeah, it is for serial killers. Pretty fun pastime. Yeah. Um... He also became a regular at a local rendering plant. Um, A rendering plant is where butchers bring, like, what's left over of their animals after the meat and, like, the usable bones are taking off. And the waste is then ground up and they make either a usable glycerin-type product or a powder out of it. And then they use that to put in makeup, soap, lotions, and supplements for animals. Disgusting. Do they still do that? Yes. That's still a thing. Disgusting. Does it tell me on my makeup if it has, like, (laughs) ground up pigs in it? Um... (laughs) Probably not. Maybe animal byproducts. That's probably a rendering plant materials. That's pretty disgusting. So he did this a lot. He would bring like buckets at a time to the rendering plant and the plant would normally look at the waste to make sure it met the criteria of what was supposed to be in these buckets. But because Willie was such a regular, they didn't second guess his disposals. They just took them and did what they did with them. Did he bring bodies there? I plead the fifth on that. So Leonard and Louise both died in 1978. Um, They left the farm to their kids. David and Linda wanted nothing to do with the farm. And since Willie was already working on the farm full time, he took over the family business, which made him a third generation pig farmer. Do you know how they died? Um, One of them died of cancer. The dad died first. I think he died of cancer. Okay. And then the mom died later in the year. So they didn't die like together? No. No. But both in 1970. I was just wondering if maybe Willie... I thought maybe Willie off them. No, actually, Willie took care of his mom while she was sick. So he didn't really have a good relationship with his dad, but he, like, idolized his mom, even though she was a piece of shit. He idolized her, and so he took care of her in her sickness until she died. Interesting. Okay. But she was horrible to him, so I'm not really sure why, but she did. Right? I mean, she was pretty horrible to everybody. Yeah, but I feel like especially horrible to Willie. Like, she was, I mean, like, Linda, you know, she sent him away, or sent her away to go live with family, because... The farm was not a good place for her. And I feel like every time, like, she really picked on anybody, it was, she picked on Willie. I think she was especially horrible to that little boy she rolled into the ditch. Well, yes. Yes, she was. But he wasn't hers to be terrible to, which I guess makes it worse, but. Right. Yeah, well, she's pretty much just a terrible human being in general. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so in the mid-90s, David and Linda gave Willie sole control of the farm because, again, they just really didn't want anything to do with it. And as, like, the three of them, they started selling off parts of the farm, which actually made them very wealthy. Which, their family actually, believe it or not, was very wealthy because they had such a large pig farm. Like, even though they were disgusting and they lived in filth, they were, like, very wealthy people. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting because, I mean, I guess it's stereotypical, but normally wealthy people are not gross. Well, right, and they also normally don't own pig farms. Well, yeah, but I guess that's true. But, like, also if they were wealthy, they probably could have paid people. Right. To run the pig farm instead of, like, abusing their children to do it. That would make the most sense, but they want to be wealthy if they did that. Well, I mean, I guess, but I was just kind of thinking, like, the reason why they forced the kids is because they were poor, but... No, it's just because they were pieces of shit. Yeah, makes sense. Um, So, David continued living in their house, which I don't understand why, because it was a disgusting mess. Anyway, so he kept the house, and Willie lived in the trailer in a remote area in the property. Um, And it doesn't really ever talk about Linda, anything I found really ever again. Like, they talk about her when she was kids, they talk about her selling off parts of the farm, but they don't really ever talk about her again, hmm. which I think is weird. So she must just have, like, cut herself off from the family and not talked to them. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Through the years, they involved themselves in many different money-making schemes, um, including selling their soil from their disgusting farm. I don't know who would want to buy that, but anyways, they sold it. And they operated as an illegal, illegal chop shop in conjunction with the Hells Angels, <laughs> which I don't know why, but I just thought that was so cool. I mean, it's not cool, but, like, the Hells Angels, like... I don't know who the Hells Angels are. Who would have thought that they would associate... They're, like, a big biker gang. Oh, are they? I should probably... I don't know why I would know that, actually. How would you not know that? I don't... Because I don't follow biking, but you know who I was thinking would like the soil? Hmm. Mom. (laughs) (laughs) And her all-natural... Yeah, because it's full of, like, animal feces, like, manure. Like, she buys, like, manure soil. She'd probably like it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like that's what most people buy to farm with but like their farm was gross like why would people want their soil because the grosser the healthier probably i don't know ask mom yeah i guess we'll have to call an expert witness sharon yeah call in call in mom and ask her <laughs> she'll punch me in the face for calling her that when she listens to this <laughs> yes yeah, she is going to 
And so anyways, Hell's Angels, the biker gang, would steal the cars and store them on the farm. And then the brothers would take the parts and sell them. Hmm. So they also kind of turned their farm into like a salvage yard. But again, illegally, because then they cut pieces of the cars up and sold them. So in 1996, the brothers decided to register their farm as a nonprofit charity called the Piggy Palace Good Time Society. What? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. The Piggy Palace. The Piggy Palace. <laughs> Good times. Like what? Society. Yeah. So they claimed to organize, coordinate, manage, and operate special events, functions, dances, shows, and exhibitions on behalf of surface organizations, sports organizations, and other worthy groups. So I'm not sure how Canadian laws work, because again, this is in British Columbia, Canada, um, but maybe like it was to avoid taxes, because like that's what you do in the U.S. Like nonprofits don't have to pay taxes. I mean, probably. So maybe that's and why. And Canada has insane taxes because they have, you know, like um, universal health care. Like their taxes. I mean, I don't know from personal experience. Right. I don't want to offend anyone in Canada if for some reason people actually decide to listen to our podcast. But um, I know like from waiting tables, a lot of people from Canada like to come and like vacation in the South. Right. And I used to run into like Canadians all the time. And I mean, like, I'm pretty sure their taxes are like 50% of their income. Oh, probably. So, I mean, maybe that's why they did it. I don't know if that's how that works there, though. Like, if it's a nonprofit, if they don't have to pay taxes like they do in the U.S., but. Right, I don't know. Either way, the Piggy Palace Good Time Society was their nonprofit farm. Hmm, interesting. So, these um, events that they used to fundraise that the brothers threw were raves and large wild farm parties held in a converted slaughterhouse. Oh, okay. So you would think that no one would want to come hang out in an old slaughterhouse, but actually these events had about 2,000 attendees. Hmm. Um, I looked it up and a Canadian registered charity is exempt from income tax in Canada. So that is probably exactly why they did that, because they didn't have to pay. They're shady mofos. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So when they partied in their slaughterhouse, they had about 2,000 people come. And it was typically a rougher crowd with biker gangs, sex workers, and drug addicts. Um, they had business relations with the Hells Angels, so a lot of the members would frequent the farm. And it was well known to all the locals there that there would be copious amounts of drugs and alcohol, which was really appealing to sex workers as they often had debilitating drug addictions. So during the next several years, people would notice many women go missing after attending parties at the farm. And people would report this to the police, but the women going missing were sex workers and indigenous women of the downtown east side. So they were typically a low priority for the police. In 1997, the city cited the brothers for violating zoning ordinances because the farm was zoned for agricultural, but the brothers were hosting parties in the disguise of a nonprofit charity. Naturally, they ignored this citation and they continued hosting parties. I mean, that's what I would do. So in 1998, yeah, I mean, of course, ignore the law. I mean, they did their whole lives anyway. I do it all the time. I do it all the time, every day. Host parties in your slaughterhouse? No, I ignore the law. Oh, okay. I'm just out there breaking laws, you know, having gunfights and, you know. Yeah, that sounds just like you. <laughs> Doing it with my three kids, dragging them along with me. Yeah. In your minivan? In my minivan. <laughs> <laughs> just like, you know, breaking laws, doing bad things, robbing places. Yeah. yeah, that sounds just like you. Yeah, that's what I do. So they had a New Year's Eve party in 1998, and it was one of their biggest bashes. However, the city then banned any future parties because of this huge party. Their nonprofit status was removed, rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, they probably deserve that. I mean, and it didn't really seem like they got any penalty either, other than like hmm. probably some like noise violations and they got their nonprofit status taken away. But they should have never been a nonprofit anyway. <laughs> right. I mean, they weren't actually doing like any good. Well, they said that these parties were like raising money for worthy organizations. They never said what these worthy organizations were, but they said that they were raising money for worthy. I think it was their pockets. Yes, 100%. But that's not what they said. Right. So during this time, um, there was a concerning number of women disappearing from the downtown east side of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, this area of Vancouver was known to be a really dangerous place. It was known for really high levels of drug use, homelessness, mental illness, poverty, and crime. And it was where most of the sex workers would loiter. At one time, the downtown east side was the political, cultural, and retail center of Vancouver. So it was a really poppin' place. However, over time, this area shifted westward. And it left the downtown east side relatively poor. In the 1980s, there was a large influx of drugs that took over the city, and it began to transform it into its current state. By 1997, a public health emergency was declared in the city due to an epidemic of drug overdoses and HIV infections. And from 1995 to 1997, 21 women went missing from the downtown east side. 
Did they look into this at all? Uh, not really. Okay. Because they were sex workers. Nope. <laughs> right. There were sex workers and indigenous women and drug addicts and low priority. So they didn't really look yeah. into it. So indigenous women are like Native Americans, correct? Yes. Like okay. Native. Right. Like Native before like we came and took all of their land. Yes. And I don't mean we by you and I, because we had nothing to do with that. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. <laughs> I mean, the people that came over on like, you know, the Mayflower. Yes. yes. Christopher Columbus and all those guys. Okay. Right. So Elaine Allen ran a local shelter that provided food, social services, and a place to stay to these women that lived on the street in the downtown east side. And she noticed several disappearances of women that would frequent her shelter. And she brought it to the police's attention, but they dismissed it. And they stated that these women got into a car with anyone, so who's to say that they're really missing? And the police refused to investigate these mysterious disappearances. Um, A lot of the times they just said that these people must left looking for a better life. So they didn't really disappear, they just left. Yeah, I really hate when they say that, though. It really annoys me. Well, I mean, also, if they were really just leaving for a better life, then they wouldn't have just disappeared. They would have told people bye. (laughs) Right. They had friends. It's a community. Right. I mean, I just hate it because I feel like that's always, like, the cop-out of when a sex worker goes missing is not even necessarily, like, they're looking for a better life, but they're like, oh, well, they were asking for it because they're a sex worker. Yeah, well, that's bullshit. They weren't asking for it. I mean, yeah, but that's what they, I know, but, like, that's what they say. You know, I mean, you know, they're like, oh, they're asking for it because they're a prostitute. And, like, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, I, like, support prostitution because I feel like, you know, as women, we should respect ourselves, but... But if that's the life that you live, I don't feel like you're asking to get killed. Like, nobody's asking to get murdered yeah. or to disappear or, you know, whatever. I mean, regardless of what your job is. Right. No one wants that. I mean, that's like saying, like, oh, you're a mail carrier? You were asking to get in a car accident, you know? Right. Yep. It's stupid, but okay. Continue. Um, so, again, these women that were affected with all this were sex workers and indigenous people, so low priority to the police. So, Picton was known to frequent the east side, hiring sex workers often to spend time with him and to bring to his parties. With the large amount of disappearances, the women of the downtown east side began to be more cautious on who they were serving and tried to protect themselves more. But Willie was never a threat to them because he frequented the east side so often. He got a reputation of being a good guy, and he usually offered a lot of money for their services, so they weren't afraid of him. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So good guy. Good guy, Willie. And they weren't they weren't concerned with the fact that he, like, stunk and was disgusting? Well, he had money, so. It doesn't matter. I don't care how much money you have. Like, that's gross. Okay. <laughs> you would think but nope i don't know if you're like not bathing and allowing animals to like go to the bathroom in your home yeah no i'm good on that yeah i mean you would think but not my cup of tea he was trusted okay so in 1997 he picked up a sex worker named wendy lynn Eistetter from vancouver's downtown east side and he brought wendy back to his trailer after they had sex he handcuffed her wendy didn't like this so she fought back trying to release herself from the handcuffs Willie didn't like that, so he began to stab her. Wendy, still handcuffed, managed to disarm him and use his own knife to stab him. So she's a badass. She escaped and ran down the road covered in blood and naked. And she stopped a vehicle of two elderly people and they took her to a local hospital. Her winds were so bad that she needed surgery. And when she was at the hospital, Willie arrived there too, stating that he picked up a hitchhiker and was attacked. And that's where his wounds came from. And he had no idea she was there. No. Okay. No, because the elderly people brought her and he brought himself. Right. Okay. That's a- so while, while they were taking care of him, they found a key in his pocket that matched the handcuffs on Wendy. Oh, interesting. How did that happen? Well, they had to take his clothes off to examine him, put him in a gown. And- I know. I was being sarcastic. Like, oh. interesting. How did he happen to have a key to the, you know, I mean, no. I thought you meant, how did that happen? I was like, uh, I don't know. How am I supposed to explain this? <laughs> no, I did not mean, like, how did they find the key? I meant, like, oh, interesting. He picks up a hitchhiker, and then he just happens to have a key to the handcuffs of this woman who's been stabbed and handcuffed. Right, yeah. Very um, coincidental. Yeah. So, obviously, they called the cops, and the cops came. They took their statements and the evidence, including both of their clothes. Willie was arrested for this attempted murder, assault with a weapon, and forcible confinement. And he was released on bond, and the charges were eventually dismissed due to lack of evidence. What? I know. I know. This man, he just keeps getting away with things. Or the whole family keeps getting away with things. How is that lack of evidence? He had the key to the handcuff. So the police um, said that because she was a sex worker and she had a drug addiction, that she was unreliable and unstable for testimony. Okay, but she had on the handcuffs that matched the key in his pocket. It doesn't. I mean, I don't really feel like it matters. I mean, you would think. At all. 
I mean, okay, so handcuffs, I feel like handcuff keys are pretty universal, you know what I mean? Like, they probably only make... Yeah, they're probably pretty universal. They probably are, but, like, what are the... What is the likelihood? That he got attacked by a hitchhiker the same day that she got attacked by a man. Right. And then she has on the handcuffs that match the key in his pocket. Right. And why would he have it in his pocket if he was just driving on the road and picked up a hitchhiker? Right. And why does he have handcuff keys? Yeah, I don't don't know. Is he handcuffing the pig? Maybe. Okay, so he didn't get charged with that. That's great. All right, so just let him go. So that was in 1997. For the years to come, he continued to terrorize Vancouver. Yeah. So also in 1997, Marnie Frey, who was 24 years old, was picked up by Willie on the downtown east side. He promised her drugs to fulfill her heroin addiction and brought her back to the farm where he had sex with her and killed her. Her stepmother, Lynn Frey, said that she reported her stepdaughter missing to the Campbell River Police where she lived, um, which is... I think an hour outside of Vancouver. I might be wrong on that. Okay. I looked up a lot of places, but I think it was an hour. She reported her missing there, and um, they told her that she should probably just wait a few more days because Marnie was an adult, and she could just be on holiday. It's a Canadian thing to say. Yeah, what a Canadian thing. I love, like, on holiday. Could be on ho- they could be on holiday, eh? I think, like, a lot of, like, the UK uses that, too, and, like, I just think it's so cute. I mean, in this case, it's not cute. But in general, it's cute. No, that's, I mean, it's not cute in this case, but it is cute. Like, oh, did you have fun on, did you have fun on holiday? It makes me think of like um, Peppa Pig. Yes. Yep. I hate Peppa Pig, but yeah. <laughs> I know you do. So, um, Frey, the stepmom, returned a few days later and was told to wait a few more weeks. So she decided that she would just go d- to the downtown east side herself and look for Marnie because she knew that's where she lived. They said to wait a few weeks. Yeah, wait a few more weeks. She must be on holiday. I mean, how how much are these sex workers making that they are going to be? Because she was a sex worker too, right? Right. Yep. She was a sex worker and Willie picked her up as a sex worker. Okay. So how much are they making that they're going on multiple week holidays? Uh, I don't know. But maybe I should be a sex worker. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't go on multiple. I don't think your husband or father would appreciate that. Probably not. <laughs> I don't really want to be a sex worker, but... If I mean, that much money. that's kind of crazy, though. Like, oh, she's probably on holiday for a few more weeks. Come back then. Like, yeah. Okay. So as a good stepmom, she went down to the downtown east side herself and looked for Marnie since the police wanted. So she said that she heard from the other sex workers that she had talked to that Willie had the women who were going missing and she would never find them. Oh, so they knew at this point. Like the sex workers knew that Willie was taking them. Yeah, it was like a rumor going on. Okay. It was a rumor that, you know, people were going to the farm and not coming back. So then why were they still going with him? Because he had lots of money. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So being a good mom, she drove to the pig farm and tried to climb the fence. Oh, that's really smart. So she tried to climb the fence, but she was chased away by dogs. So she didn't get inside the pig farm, which is probably good. Okay. So the next day. Yeah, I mean, it's probably good. I mean, pretty badass that she did that, but. Yeah, she cared about her kid. Also kind of stupid. Like, did she... I mean, yeah. I can't really say anything. I mean, I don't know. The cops weren't doing anything, so she might as well. I mean, none of my kids have been taken to a pig farm, but I would like to think that if they were, I would also climb the fence and try and get them back. Yeah. I mean, I would like to think that. We we know what you would do if my kids got taken, but... <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you would run the other direction. <laughs> anyway... So, since the cops in her town weren't doing anything, she went to the cops in the downtown east side and told them what she had heard from the sex workers and that she went to the pig farm and all of that. And they told her not to play cop and she shouldn't have visited the farm. And that was it. So, they didn't go, they didn't go to the pig farm themselves, no. Okay, that's cool. No, they did not investigate. However, during later investigations, her jawbone was the only part of her body recovered. Oh, the farm. great. So in 1998, nine more women went missing from the downtown east side of Vancouver, and the police did not investigate, and they discounted foul play was involved. They don't think foul play is involved? Nope, they don't think. Again, they just think that these women are just off searching for better lives and going on holidays. This is a lot of women finding better lives. I mean. Yeah. There's no sex workers left, apparently. Okay. I mean, as many women as going are missing. Right. So, in 1998, a tip was called in that Picton should be investigated for the missing women. And that cop actually tried to investigate him. However, all of the other cops kind of dismissed it. He couldn't get sufficient resources or attention, so it was ignored. And I didn't get that cop's name. I couldn't find it, which I wish I would have, because he tried. He's clearly the only one that gave a rat's ass. Yeah, none of the others did. Okay. 
1999, Georgina Pappen, a 34-year-old mother of seven, went missing in the downtown east side. Um, there's not much known about her disappearance. Her family said that she had a really rough childhood and was raised bouncing through foster homes and separated from her siblings. And these emotional issues followed her through adulthood, and she was on a really rough path when she disappeared living on the streets as a sex worker with a drug addiction as well. Uh, one of Picton's really good friends, Lynn Ellingsman, she lived on the farm with him for several months. Um, one night when she was getting high, she was in his trailer, and she saw Picton with a dead body hanging from a chain in a slaughterhouse. This body she saw was Pappin. Okay. However, um, Lynn fled the farm and didn't come back. And she didn't go to the police because she was scared of him. And she didn't think anyone would believe her because she was high. I mean, why would they believe her anyway since he's already killed, I mean, how many women at this point? Right. And they don't they don't think he's done anything? And they keep discounting him that he's not it. I mean, they don't even think anyone's killing him. So, yeah, I mean. Right. They just think that they're finding better lives and going on holidays. So bones from Pappin's hands were the only part of her that was found. In 1999, Serena Abbotsway, who was 29, was reporting missing by her foster mother. She was living on the streets of the downtown east side, and her foster parents said that she had lots of difficulties and never really believed that she would be okay on her own. She phoned them every day, sometimes twice a day, so when they stopped hearing from Serena, they quickly worried and reported her missing. Nothing really done about her either. So in 1999, Brenda Wolf came to a farm party looking for drugs and never left. Not much is known about Wolf. But those who did know her said that she had two young daughters, a boyfriend, and was a very kind, gentle, tough soul. Wolf was last seen at the intersection of Maine and Hastings, which is like the main hub for where Willie would pick up his sex workers and everyone else would pick up sex workers before her party. And then the remains were her remains were found on the Picton Pig Farm later. Okay. Again in 1999, there was another tip called in that there was a freezer on the property with human flesh. The police did interview Picton this time. He denied the claims, and the police even searched the farm, but they didn't find anything, so the tip was dropped. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. So, at least, you know, this time they're maybe trying a little, you know, an ounce of trying. I mean, maybe a little, but, like, I, I don't know. Okay. So, in 1999, also one of the workers on the farm, his name was Bill Hiscox. Um, I believe he was a driver on the farm with the, driving the animals back and forth when he got new ones and was slaughtering them, taking them to wherever. Okay. So he went to the police about several missing women and that a close friend of Picton's, Lisa Yields, had told Hiscock that she had seen women's clothing, purses, and identification papers at the farm. So he went to the police and told them this, and the police went to Yields, who denied ever saying that to Hiscox and was very uncooperative with the police. So they couldn't do anything based on hearsay, so again, the claims were ignored. In 2001, Mona Wilson, a 26-year-old, disappeared from the downtown east side where she was living on the streets and was a sex worker to support her drug addiction. She was with her boyfriend, Steve Ricks, when a man pulled up in a car and dangled beers and money at her and said to get in the car he wanted to party. Steve told her not to go, but she didn't listen and went anyways, and she never returned. So he reported her missing a week later, and right before she went missing, she was actually interviewed by a Seattle Times reporter about all of the missing women in the area. Mm -hmm. And she told the reporter that she was afraid of being killed because she was on those streets and was an avid crack user. She also stated that she needed to get out of there. So I thought that was really sad that she said that. And then no time later, she got picked up and killed. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, heartbreaking, honestly. She knew that she needed to leave and she couldn't get out fast enough. Hmm. So Willie brought her back to a camper instead of his trailer, and he beat her and shot her after they had sex. The camper was covered in her blood from the mattress, all over the walls, all the way to the kitchen, everywhere. So he was getting, like, really crazy and sloppy. Well, I mean, why would he not get sloppy? They're not even investigating him. Right, so this was in, what year did I say? 2001? Yeah. So they've been questioning him since 97. Right. And every time they just let him go. And women have been going since at least 95. And they just let him go every time. So, you know, he thinks he's never going to get caught, I guess. I mean, yeah, I mean, he thinks he's invincible at this point. Might as well splatter blood everywhere and not care. So I was actually going to ask that too, though. But I mean, I guess that makes sense. I was wondering, like, if there was like a sexual motive here, but like they were sex workers. So they willingly had sex with him. Right. So he willingly paid them or gave them drugs to have sex with him. 
And then after he had sex with them, he a lot of the times would like handcuff them. And then he killed them in lots of different ways. But they're really, no, not a sexual motive because he was already having sex with them. But I mean, I guess he didn't really pay them because I'm sure he took the money back after he killed them. Probably. I mean, I would assume he's just like recycling the money. A lot of the times I think, though, he did like paid them with drugs. Oh, so like they took drugs. Like he would bring them to the farm. So in 2001, Andrea Josberry, which was a 22-year-old sex worker, disappeared from the downtown east side. She was brought to live on the streets by her boyfriend. She had like a really rough childhood. Her family were alcoholic. So when her boyfriend offered to get her out of that situation, she willingly went. But he brought her to live on the streets. And he was a drug dealer. So naturally, she got addicted to drugs. Right. And she fell into sex work to pay for the habit. And then she was found in a freezer on the Picton farm. By 2001, 61 women were reported missing from the downtown east side. Um, at this point, the cops kind of cared. They made a missing woman task force. And they put out flyers. And they had rewards of $100,000 leading to the arrest of whoever was guilty of these crimes. I'm so glad that it took 61 women to go missing before they cared. And all they did was put out flyers. That's disgusting, though. Like, that's absolutely mm-hmm. disgusting. 61 women. And we're talking, you said 2001. Right. So this is 61 women since 95? Yep. So, I mean, like, 10 women a year. Yes. That's disgusting. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess 10 women a year. Yeah. That math checks out. Yes, that math does check out. I'm fine with that kind of math. It's ages (laughs) that I have an issue with. Okay. But, like, is that since 95 or is that since... No, that's since 95. So women have actually been going missing for years. But, like, there was really a spike in, like, 95. So his first known victim... That, like, he was convicted for started in 97. Okay. But he was believed to have started in 78 when his parents died. Oh, my God. So it just, like, escalated from there. Yeah. But he didn't confirm that, I'm sure. No, he's innocent, according to himself. Of all of them? To this day. Yep. How is he innocent? The bodies are on his farm. Oh, my God. Okay. Because <laughs> he's invincible. Lo- oh, talk about a freaking narcissist. So because of their wonderful flyers that they put out, about 12,000 tips came in, and several of them were for the pig farmer named Willie. So the cops made him a suspect, but they really didn't focus heavily on him because he was a good guy. He had a pig farmer. He was wealthy. Farmer that smelled like poop. (laughs) (laughs) He was a good guy, though. Okay. So he wasn't a big suspect, so he just continued to kill. 2002, another employee of the farm went to the police stating that he personally saw illegal firearms on the property. The police could use this eyewitness account to obtain a search warrant. So on February 6, 2002, police invaded the Picton farm in search of firearms. So they didn't care about the women, but the firearms they went for. Okay. But they found a lot more than just the illegal weapons. And this initial search triggered the largest forensic investigation in Canadian history. Let me guess. They found they found bodies. Well, they found pieces of bodies. Shocking. So they found several personal items. <laughs> well, at first they didn't find bodies. At first they just found personal items. It took them a while to find okay. the bodies. Well, yeah. So at first they just found personal items belonging to the missing women in the area. And they found Serena Abbott's weight inhaler. And that was like their biggest clue. Her inhaler? Like for asthma? Yep. Okay. Because it has her name on it because it's a prescription. It has, like, I mean, yeah, it's a prescription. It would have all of her information on it. Okay. Right. So that was their biggest clue. So the brothers were both arrested on charges of possession of illegal firearms. They were both released on bail. But the police kept surveillance on Willie, since that was what all of the tips were on. Right. So it doesn't really say much about that they checked up on David, but they did keep surveillance on Willie. So using what they found from the first search... They obtained a second search warrant on February 22nd, 2002, and Willie was arrested and charged for two first-degree murders of Serena Abbotsway, 29, and Mona Wilson, 26. Those clues I mentioned from the attempted murder earlier from, um, you remember her name now? The chick with the handcuffs. I know you're talking about. I don't remember her name now either. Yeah. The clues I mentioned were left in storage for seven years, but they finally brought him out and tested him. Oh, that's so good. They didn't test him before that? Nope. Okay. Nope. But they did now that they've been sitting for seven years. So they tested him in 2004, and they had DNA of the two known victims, um, Abbotsway and Wilson. So one month later, on April 2nd, three more charges were added for the murders of Jacqueline McDonald, Diane Rock, and Heather Bottomley. 
On April 9th, a sixth charge was added for the murder of Andrea Josbury. Shortly after, a seventh charge was added for the murder of Brenda Wolf. On September 20th, four more charges were added for the murders of Georgina Pappin, Patricia Johnson, Helen Hallmark, and Jennifer Firminger. On October 3rd, four more charges for the murders of Heather Chinook, Tanya Hulk, Sherry Irving, and Inga Hall. And this brought the total to 15 victims and made this the largest investigation of any serial killer in Canadian history so far. Um, but even with 15 victims, they knew there was more hiding in the rubbish of the farm. Excavations continued through November of 2003, and this cost an estimate of $70 million. Forensic anthropologists brought in heavy equipment, including two 50-foot conveyor belts and soil sifters. Because like I said before, they didn't find whole bodies, they just found pieces of bodies. So they had to sift through all of the feces and mud and dirt. Well, because he was feeding them to the freaking pigs, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 700 and something pigs. So, I mean, I can't imagine it was that hard to get rid of bodies. Right. I don't know if the whole time he had 700 pigs, but I just know that at one point that was the biggest the farm got was 700 pigs. Okay, but even, even if he had 100 pigs. Right. I'm, that's a lot of pigs. It's a, big, it's a big farm. I actually didn't realize he had that many pigs at any point. I mean, I knew he was a pig farmer and he fed his victims to pigs, but I was right. thinking like three. <laughs> three? Three pigs? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like three pigs. I think that's more of like a hobby, not really a pig farmer. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. <laughs> So for years, the crews searched through the garbage on the farm and within the piles of manure and trash, they found DNA of 80 people on the farm, men and women. So just the DNA, not necessarily pieces of their bodies, but DNA of 80 people. Okay. So at the farm, they just found loads of evidence tying him to a multitude of victims. They found handcuffs with victims' DNAs, IDs, dildos, a box of kitchen knives next to his bed, clothing, papers, and bills with victims' names on them. Oh, and syringes filled with antifreeze. He said uh, one of his friends went to the cops and told them this, that he said the easiest way to kill a heroin addict was to do syringes with antifreeze because they didn't know the difference. I mean, I wouldn't know. I've never done heroin, but... I mean, I mean either, but I just feel like that would you would know a difference between antifreeze and heroin. I mean, I don't know. Do they look the same? Well, isn't antifreeze blue? Mm, I mean, it's different colors. You can have different colored antifreeze. I didn't know that until I had to put antifreeze in my car. <laughs> I think it's blue. It ch- it's different colors. There's different colors. I'm telling you, there's orange and blue. Okay, well, either way, I think heroin's, like, clear, isn't it? I have no idea. I don't run around looking for heroin. It's not one of my uh, drugs of choice. Yeah, with all the drugs you do? Yeah, all the drugs I do. No, let's see. Heroin. Color of heroin. I mean, I don't know. I would assume... I think it's, like, a cleary yellow. It's yellow, so maybe he was using orange antifreeze. I'm telling you, there's orange antifreeze. Well, maybe. Maybe, but they were too stupid to know the difference, he says. So. And I mean, it's probably similar to like Gary and his, you know, Gary Thibodeau and his cocaine with the baking soda or baking powder, whatever it is. Right. You know, I was like, when did it burn? And you were like, well, cocaine probably burns too. Right. Antifreeze and heroin both probably burn going in. Right. Oh, I'm sure they do. I would assume so. Yeah. There's like 17 different colors. So he probably just used. Yeah. Mixed colors together to make it look like. Yeah. It says, the secret behind coolant colors, orange is the new green. Orange is the new green. That's what it says. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an automotive technician. You're not? No, I'm not. Uh, I don't know anything about cars, actually. Um, but there's, like, this picture has, like, red, green, purple, and orange. So, I mean, I feel like the orange in a syringe could probably look like heroin. The heroin's yellow. Yeah, maybe. So, okay. Maybe. But he says they wouldn't know the difference. So I mean, I didn't know. I didn't realize that he was, like, that. It's kind of intelligent. Yeah, I mean, so, like, at the beginning, I said, like, his teacher said, like, he was slow. Right. But, like, he actually, I mean, seems to be pretty smart. Right. I mean, I was thinking, like, he dropped out of school at what you said, like, 14. Yep. But, like, I mean, that's a pretty diabolical plan there to, like, use antifreeze instead of heroin. Yep. And not be, I mean, no, I can see how you want to be able to tell the difference. Like, looking at these colors of, like, this picture of heroin I just Googled and the antifreeze. Like, I could see... Yeah. Especially if, like, you're really craving for heroin. Well, right. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you wouldn't really care. Like, you'd just be like, get it in my arm. Yeah, these syringes are, like, yellow. Heroin's the one you heat on the spoon, right? <laughs> I don't know. Me neither. <laughs> well, anyway, so he filled syringes with antifreeze and injected them into women. So they found skulls cut in half with hands and feet stuffed inside them. Ugh. And the remains of one of his victims found stuffed into a garbage bag with her bloodstained clothes found in his trailer. They found another part of the victim's jawbone and teeth beside his slaughterhouse, a twenty-two caliber revolver, 
with an attached dildo containing both his and his victim's DNA. It was on the gun? It was on the gun. So he claimed that he attached the dildo on the weapon to make a makeshift silencer. But it had him and his victim's DNA on the dildo on the gun. Disgusting. So my mind goes to that, like, he used it and then shot her. Right. That's what I'm thinking. But that's really messed up. Right. But he was a messed up dude. Okay, but I don't even want to get into that. No, no, let's not. (laughs) I don't even want to think about that. So while the cops were searching the slaughterhouse, they found human flesh on the hooks that were used to drain the pigs. Right. So he would drain humans just like he drained the pigs. On May 26, 2005, 12 more charges were added for the murders of Sarah Ellis, Andrea Borhaven, Deborah Lynn Jones, Marnie Frey, Tiffany Drew, Carrie Kosky, Sarah Dave Riz, Riz, I'm not sure how to say that, um, Cynthia Felix, Angela Jardine, Wendy Crawford, Diana Melnick, and Jane Doe. So this brought the total to 27 victims. And it was believed that after killing his victims in several different ways, including strangulation, shooting, stabbing, and injecting them with antifreeze, he would drag them to his slaughterhouse where he would butcher them and either feed them to his pigs or place them in barrels and drop them off at the rendering plant. So earlier you asked about the rendering plant if he put bodies. He butchered them first, but then he dropped them off at the rendering plant. Well, I mean, I would hope he butchered them first. I would hope that the rendering plant didn't just take, like, bodies. Well, they didn't check his stuff. Okay, but, like, you would... I mean, I don't know what you're doing at the rendering plant, but, like, is it... I mean, you would, like, bring, like, whole barrels. And But did it not get, like, dumped into something that they would, like, see it? I mean, you would think so, but... Oh, hey! Here's an arm. Right. Yeah, you would think so. I really hate this case, Ashley. I really hate Picton. I mean, yeah, he's a piece of trash. I know, but, uh, I just really hate him a lot, like... I love true crime, but I really can't deal well with, like, disgusting. All murder's disgusting. He killed a lot of people. Yeah. In, like, disgusting ways. I can't. Yes. He was a disgusting man. Yeah. So it was also believed that he had an accomplice. Her name was Dinah Taylor. And he would send her to women's shelters to round up women to come to his farm parties. So especially in, like, the later years when there were so many women going missing in the downtown east side. And the women were, like, super wary of who they went with. And there were rumors that he was taking them to his farm and whatever. Like, he would send her to go get them since he was having a hard time luring women to his farm. Well, right. Because he was, you know, taking women. Did she Did she face any time? Like, did she get questioned? Did she he- did get questioned, I believe. But she never got any charges put against her because there was no proof. Well, yeah, because all the women she lured died. However, there was that lady I talked about earlier... Eileen Allen, I believe her name was. Uh huh. She said that she remembered seeing Taylor come into her shelter and leave with women. Okay. She was the one that had the shelter for women. Yeah. Okay. So she said that she remembers seeing Taylor come in and leave with women, but there was no proof that she took the women to Willie. Right. Um, so Taylor made the women trust her and they would come to the farm to score drugs and party. Okay. And it was never proven and she was never charged. So while Willie was in prison, he confessed to his cellmate who just so happened to be an undercover agent, that he killed 49 women, but he just wished he would have killed one more to make it an even 50. But he got sloppy, so he got caught. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Like, oh, I just wish I could have got an even 50. Like, right. this is the women you're killing. I mean, it's not freaking baseball cards you're collecting. Like, what in the... I don't right. So he admitted to this undercover agent that he killed 49 women, and he admitted feeding them to his pigs and dumping the bodies at the rendering plant. However, when he was questioned any other time, he was completely innocent. That's the only time he has ever confessed. So this isn't really, like, crucial to the case, but I think it's really interesting, and I didn't really have anywhere else to put it, so I put it right here. So on March 10th, 2004, the Canadian government issued a warning that it was believed that Picton ground up human remains and mixed it with his pork and sold it. So not only was he terrorizing the community by his killing spree, he now was affecting the whole community at once, and they didn't even know it. He was feeding human remains to people. Yep. He was grinding them up and putting it in his pig grind. Ground up like, pork, like whatever. sausage? Yep. Sausage. Yep. So he actually, um, the farm was really big. So he supplied meat to like a huge amount of Canada. So like it wasn't even just his area that he was giving the human to. It was like all over Canada. And no one like actually brought, like they never like tested meat. Because no one, like, brought it forward. I wouldn't want to know. Yeah, I mean, me either. If I had a pack of sausage from Picton's Farm, I would not want to know. No, I would just throw it away and call it a day. 
I would not want anything to do with that. So on January 30th, 2006, in New Westminster, the trial began and Picton pled not guilty to this 27 counts of first-degree murder. One of these counts was rejected for lack of evidence, and on August 9th, Justice James Williams split the charges into two groups. So he did one group of six counts, and the second group was for the other 20. So he said that trying all 26 counts at once would put an unreasonable burden on the jury on the jury because the trial would last um, at least two years and it would increase the chance of a mistrial, meaning they would have to try again. Right. And so he also said, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and also if for some reason they like found him innocent of those six counts, they could try him again. Right. For the other 20. Would like, I mean, or they could split them up again. I mean, like they could continue to split them up until they went through all. So, I mean, that was smart. Right. It was. So, and he also said that the six that he chose had much different evidence than the rest of them. Um, So there was actually like a publication ban in Canada because they didn't want like all of this like horrifying information getting out to the public. Right. So no one really knows what this evidence was that made these six so much different. Okay. But he probably felt like these were the most evidence. Right. The most damning. They would get done the most. So he went ahead and split those six and 20. Okay. So because there was that publication ban, the public really didn't get to hear much about the case because they wanted to stop that spread of the information and the horrifying nature of this man. Right. So there were a lot of rumors spreading about Picton, but no one really knew what was going on during the trial. And for actually like many years after, they didn't really know a lot. I mean, there's still like publication bans. Like most of them are lifted now, but there's still some things they won't put out. From my understanding, like, most of the time in the U.S., like, you can pretty much, like, get any records. Like, you have to apply for them, but you can pretty much get most of court records. But I guess in Canada, it's a lot different. Yeah, I mean, Canada is a lot different. I don't know as far as getting court records. Like I said, I was going to attempt to get the ones for Heidi Allen, but that was a lot of work, so. Yeah, you have to apply and, like, do a bunch of work Mm -hmm. and whatever. But, like, I think in the U.S., like, you can't most things that are done, you can get the records for. Yeah. But, like, I guess in Canada, it's different. I'm not really sure. Not from Canada. So. Yeah. I mean, I honestly am not even sure in the in the U.S. I mean, I feel like that's probably like a state-by-state state thing, too. Yeah, maybe. Like in North Carolina. Right. Like in North Carolina, you can just go to the courthouse and they have computers. I don't know that you've ever used them, but I have. No, I never have, but I know you have. Yeah, I have. Like you can just go to the computer and you just type in a name and it gives you their whole record and you can pay to have them print it for you. Right. Yeah. I don't and know. It gives you like all of the. Yeah. I, I do that quite regularly in my spare time. I'm sure you do, you weirdo. Not so much anymore. I did. I actually did used to do it a lot. Like not, I mean, I just used to get a lot of speeding tickets and I'd have time to kill. So I'd just go in there and, you know, that was actually, I used to do it a lot. Like, I'm not even going to lie. I used to do it a lot. You're so weird. (laughs) Just look up random people I knew, see what was going on in their lives. You're a weirdo. So anyways, from the nature of how Willie disposed of his bodies, a lot of them were too decayed to gather any evidence from or just weren't found at all. And like I said, there were no full bodies, just bits and pieces of the bodies, which made it really difficult to identify. So I don't know if you know, but pretty much pigs eat everything, obviously. I did know that. But they can't digest teeth. They can't digest teeth? Right. Okay. So when they eat teeth, they come back out whole. Okay. So that's how they identified a lot of the people, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, I did know that, though. So the trial lasted until December 9th, 2007, when a not guilty verdict was returned on the six counts of first degree murder. When did the trial start? Because didn't you say they arrested him in like 2002? Yeah, so it took like three years to gather evidence. Was he out during that time, though? Because you said he got out on like bail. No, he was in. That was for the first time he got arrested with the guns. The second time, I do not believe he got out on on bail. I, I mean, I would freaking hope not. I believe he was in jail the whole time. So the trial started in January of 2006, and the trial lasted until December 9th of 2007. So almost two years. Yeah. Which they said they couldn't do the 26 at once because it would be at least two years, but it was two years anyways, because it was from January of 2006 to December of 2007. So I think that's pretty crazy. It probably would have lasted like six years if they would have done all 26. Right. Well, that's how I was thinking. So, on December 9th of 2007, the jury came back with not guilty for the first-degree murders. However, they did decide that he was guilty on second-degree murder. So, after the judge read 18 victim impact letters, Robert Pickton was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years. 
This was equal to what he would have got for the first-degree murder charges, and it was also the longest possible sentence for second-degree murder under Canadian law at the time. So you asked earlier if he was put to death, and, like, that wasn't allowed in Canada. So he got, like, the worst possible. I mean, yeah, but, like, that's not... I mean, he killed... That's really nothing, though. Like, I really wish that they would have, like, charged him with the other 20 murders. I mean, could they do that? Well... So that was one thing, is that even if they charged, like, that was the maximum sentence. So even if they charged him for the other 20, that still would have been maximum, was one life sentence. So, like, in the U.S., like, they can charge multiple life sentences, like, one for each victim that you killed. But in Canada at that time, they couldn't. I don't understand how they could have not convicted him of first-degree murder. Because they said that it was, like, or they believed that it was, like, not premeditated. That it was all, like, victims of chance. Hey, but I don't feel, I mean, I don't, okay. Or victims of opportunity, whatever though. Yeah, I mean, they. I, I can see like victims of opportunity, but like, does it really matter? I don't, I don't know that, I, I don't know. So it really doesn't matter though, because even if he got first degree or second degree, it would have been the same charge. Like he still would have got life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years. I get that, but I just feel like even though he didn't know who he was killing, he still premeditated the murders. Like he still intentionally went out to find someone to kill. No, so- I agree 100%. But, I mean, okay, I guess. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Because either way, he would have got the same charge. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Because apparently Canada is too nice. Yeah, I mean, Canada's nice, but... And they only allow for one life sentence. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of crazy that they only allow for one life sentence, though. And also, it's kind of crazy, 25 years. That Mm -hmm. means he's going to be out in, like, three years. No, five years, right? Because it's 2002? Well, no. I guess it was when he's convicted, so... No, because he was convicted until in 2007. Okay, so he'll be out in 2000. <laughs> we have a really hard time with math. <laughs> <laughs> we're not mathematicians. I just feel like it's... Is that not right, 32? I don't know. I just feel like it's because we're like in the heat of the moment, but... Yep, 2032. Okay, okay. That makes me feel a little better. I was thinking 2002. But I guess if he's 70 something, how old did we decide? He's 73. We decided he's 73. So in 10 years, he'll be 83. So he'll be 83. He could still get out and start killing women again at 83, but... I mean, I guess he could. He doesn't have a pig farm anymore, though, so... Right, he doesn't have a pig farm to feed the pigs to. Feed the pigs? What? You said he doesn't have a pig farm to feed the pigs. Right, he doesn't have a pig farm to feed the pigs. Right, like, that's what I mean. He doesn't have anywhere to feed pigs. Okay, but I was thinking he was going to be out in, like, 2027. Right, he was arrested in 2002, but he wasn't convicted until 2007 because it took so it took 3 years does that to get all of the evidence and then two more years. I don't know. I don't know if that includes time served. Right, well, it's I'm wondering like does it include the time served because he was in prison during the trial? I mean, I don't know if they included that in his 25 years. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Cuz if that's the case, then he should be out in like 2027. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I hope not, because he's a monster, so I hope he never gets out of prison. When will Picton be eligible for parole? I mean, hopefully they just won't let him out. Because even though he's eligible, I mean... They could still deny it. I would hope they would freaking deny it. I mean, I would hope so, too, but you never know. Well, this... No, I mean, this says he's eligible for parole in 2024. Hmm? That doesn't make sense. I don't know, but this says... Let me see. This is abbynews.com, which is... The Abbott's Ford News, is that in Canada? I mean, I would assume so. <laughs> I have no idea. It says, chance for Picton to leave prison just 12 years away. And it was published in 2011. It says, oh, I'm trying to skim it and see. Picton's eligibility date for day parole is February 22nd, 2024. So in Canada, do they have different kinds of parole? Does that mean he can leave today, but he has to come back at night? <laughs> Right. That's kind of what that sounds like because it says he's eligible for full parole in 2027. Hmm. I don't know. And then this person, I don't know who this is. Um, uh, This says, like, this is an interview. Oh, my God. Lang said in an interview with Cole Gary. I was thinking it was 2032. I thought he'd die in prison. Right. Yeah, I would think it would be 2032, but I guess not. No, it says he's eligible for full parole in 2027 and eligible for day parole, whatever the heck that is, in 2024. The heck is day parole? Day parole is a a form of release under Canadian law that permits prisoners to participate in public activities during the day and requires them to return to prison. Sounds horrible. Right, and requires them to return to prison or 
a halfway house nightly. So they don't even necessarily have to go back to prison. That sounds like a bad idea. Well, hopefully they will deny him. Hopefully. I mean, oh my gosh. That's pretty crazy. I would assume. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so you said like in Canada that they only allow one life sentence. So what if he gets out and kills six more women? Mm, I I think like because those six women like aren't the crime that he's currently in. Like I think like right now if they decided to, well, I don't know. Because those other 20 counts, they said that it wouldn't add anything. Maybe it was like 20, like at a time. So like because it's so much later. Right. They could add another life sentence. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they meant like at one time. Because even if they convicted, like, the other 20, it was still, like, during the same time frame. Right. So, I don't know. I don't know how Canadian laws work. Yeah. So, currently, the farm is fenced off and under lien of the crown of British Columbia. And all of his buildings have been demolished. And it just sits as a graveyard to all of the women who were killed by this horrible monster and never found. The remaining 20 counts were never tried and were stayed on August 4, 2010. Which basically just means, like, they're not going to do anything about it. And again, the Crown said that even if they went forward with the other 20 convictions, they wouldn't add anything to his punishment since he is already at the maximum. And it spared the community of another very lengthy trial. In 2008, the Attorney General Wally Opal filed an appeal to the British Columbia Court of Appeal against the acquittal of first-degree murder. Um, The basis for this appeal was jury selection and the instructions that the judge gave the jury and the fact that the judge severed the 26 cases into two sections. And so the families of the victims were not briefed before this news came out, so they were really angry because they believed this could jeopardize the convictions. However, Opal said that this was done in a strategic manner in anticipation of an appeal by the defense. He believed that as Picton's defense team filed an appeal, they would do so on the ground of the severance of the 26 cases, so they couldn't retry the 26 cases together unless the Crown's appeal was accepted first because they did theirs first. And on June 25th, 2009, the decision was issued that they denied the Crown's appeal. So just as he, Opal, had suspected, the defense filed an appeal on January 9th, 2008, asking for a new trial on the basis of the charges filed, the jurors amending the charge, and the picked-in statement to police. And so I thought that was really crazy, too, in the case that like he was being charged for first degree murder but then the jurors decided that it wasn't first degree it was second degree like i didn't think that was allowed Uh, that the jurors could just change the charge i feel like they can though yeah i don't know i just thought that was pretty crazy but but anyway so all of the appeals were denied and later in 2009 picton's defense exercised his right to appeal to the supreme court of canada And the Supreme Court also denied his appeal, confirming his evictions, and he was not granted a new trial. As of now, no new trials, no paroles, but we'll see in how many years did we decide? Three? Four? Two? Something like that? No, five years. (laughs) (laughs) Three, four, two? No, five years. 2027. It's 2022. But wasn't day parole like 2024? Yeah. Yeah, so two years. Anyways, that is the crazy case that is Robert Picton. So there's a lot more into it. There's actually a really great book. It's called On the Farm. It's like 800 pages. So I didn't read the whole thing. I just kind of skimmed through it. But if you have time and you're really interested in Willie Picton, then I really suggest you read it. I'm not reading that book. I hate Willie Picton. He makes my skin crawl. I'm disgusted right now. I was going to have a snack after this and I'm not now. You don't want to have any sausage? No, I certainly <laughs> don't. Not even a little bit. All right. So my first case that got me interested in true crime was the disgusting Willie Picton. You're a freaking sociopath. (laughs) Like, I can't even. I mean, it's crazy. It's a crazy case. It is. It's very fascinating. As disgusting and horrific as he is, it's really interesting. I mean, as, you know, the beginning, like, they all said, like, oh, he's slow, he's stupid, he's weird. But, like... No, he wasn't stupid. He actually had the perfect crime. I mean, it took him a long time to get caught. He was weird, for sure, because, I mean... Who the frick does that? Willie Picton. Yeah, it's disgusting. There's actually um, a female. Yeah, I know. You've told me. You've told me about the female Willie Picton. I don't really want to hear about her, but I'm sure you'll do her. (laughs) Maybe at some point. So I was going to do a serial killer for my next episode, and I already started it, but I don't know that I'm going to do that now because you've really got me disgusted. Well, which serial killer were you going to do? I told you, Velma Barfield. Oh, right, right. I called her. 
I'm still calling her. I still am probably going to do her at some point, but I'm definitely not doing her next week. I'm going to have to find like a... A not so rough one? I don't know. Something. I'm going to have to find something. I mean, hers isn't really rough, but I'm just going to need to find like something fluffy. Something fluffy? Yeah. Well, I could have went into like a lot more and made it. I know you could have. Oh, I know. I just hate Willie Picton. I mean, I hate him too. He's a piece of shit, but... I mean, really, he had like, like I said, the perfect crime, the perfect way to do it, and the perfect way to dispose of the bodies. Like... He fed his victims. I mean, did he, though? He got away with it for a long time. I feel like he just... Yeah, but I feel like it's because he had dumb police officers that weren't investigating him. Because he went after sex workers that he knew the police weren't going to investigate. He brought them to his farm, and most of the time they willingly came. He didn't have to struggle to get them there. Right. Once they were there, he had sex with them because they chose to have sex with him. Right. He killed them. And then he fed them to his pigs and got rid of the body. Yeah. So, I mean, really, there wasn't much that he had to do. He was pretty easy of a serial killer. Yeah. And he didn't have to do a lot of work. I don't know. If he didn't enjoy butchering things, I mean, he probably could have fed the humans to his pigs whole. Right. And he had so many, they probably would have ate them pretty fast. Yeah. Let's not talk about how fast pigs eat humans, please. Well, I don't know how fast they do, but I'm just saying. I don't know, but it's a rough one. Picton's rough. It is rough. <sighs> All right. Well, I guess that's it. No, a word from our sponsors. <laughs> we don't have any sponsors before. Uh, I know. If you like what you heard and want to support a small podcast, please give us money at www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked, where you can sign up for one of our three amazing tiers. For the low, low price of $5, you can become a member of the Moderately Wicked. Our next tier for $7 is the Awesomely Wicked. And finally, for the high rollers at $10 a month, you can be extraordinarily wicked. Each tier has its own perks. So go ahead and take a look there. And if you like what you see, then give us some money. Feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at weekly underscore dose underscore of underscore wicked. Or you can just search weekly dose of wicked and it literally pops up because we're the only ones. For a direct feed of our podcast, please go to www.weeklydoseofwicked.buzzsprout.com. Currently, our podcast is available on the only places that will take us. Which is only Apple Podcasts and Spotify for the time being. And that's also the only places we know where to upload to. Make sure to come back next Wednesday for your weekly, weekly dose, dose of wicked. But <laughs> <laughs>